Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. And as always, big shout out to my executive producer, Andre Suttles, Suttles Solution Media, helping to make this podcast possible. I'm excited to introduce our guest for today. Please help me welcome author, speaker, executive coach, Robert White here, I believe domestically now, correct? I have returned from China. I am uh, learning to be an American again. Absolutely. And I I love that, um, A, you're taking the time to be on the podcast with us today and even more so sharing some of your insights. We want to talk about living an extraordinary life. But before we hop into the subject matter, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our audience. I know they've already gotten a glimpse that you're uh, you're back here in the States, but maybe give them a little insight as to where you were for so long. (laughs) Well, I have... uh, lived abroad uh, most of my my working life, or more than 50%, I suppose. And, uh, but I've, uh, I've been in the business of, of creating and running uh, high-impact experiential learning companies. So with a, a, a million 300,000 graduates from those two companies that I founded and led. So part of me as a businessman, I, I mean, and I, I love putting people in those seats, exposing them to our work. Uh, And part of me is that in order to do that, I had to learn how to be in front of the room and lead these experiential learning uh, events. So uh, it's kind of like two different skill sets, but ones that over the years I've I've become fairly good at. Uh, And that did take me to originally to Japan, uh, then I came back to the U.S. for a while because of family and and also kind of semi-retired at 46. And then uh, all of that blew up <laughs> in my life. And I went uh, back to work. And so that's the, the current uh, coat that I wear, which is to work intensely with people, either in a group coaching environment or, or one-on-one. And, of course, writing and speaking kind of are part of that. Uh, I did go back to China uh, six years ago, and uh, so that's been an incredible experience until they kind of threw me out. And uh, uh, so I, I, uh, I love working with people. I love seeing them win. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of the theme of the book and the theme of my life in many, many ways. I always was more comfortable being in the back of the room when we were building those companies. Uh, the latest one, Arc International, had 240 people. We had 70 trainers, and I've always said that one third of them were better than me. Like, really, I'm not being falsely humble here. Mm-hmm. They were they were doing it all the time. They were gifted. They worked at their craft. They were fantastic. Uh, one third were rookies. You know, they're on their way up. They're working full time. They're doing trainings, but they're still a work in progress. And one third are in the middle, and that was me. Uh, I'm pretty good, but, you know, I'm not as good as that top one third Mm -hmm. and uh, working with those people and contributing to them. I got more value from that than from actually being in front of the room. And I actually I worked my way to the point where uh, I only did one five day training per year, Uh, you know, because if you've got 240 people, they keep you 
uh, pretty busy, yeah. especially because our industry attracts egos that are about the size of Mount Fuji. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like herding cats, somebody said, and I think that's that's mostly true. But they're the most incredible people, the most interesting people, because they're interacting with thousands of people. They're yeah. learning from them, and I mean, uh, just having a beer with them is fascinating. So yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed most of my time with them. <laughs> not a hundred percent. Yeah. But Which most. is still good to say for, for the most part. Um, I, I want to ask because I love that when I was unpacking your journey and, you know, a lot of the coaching you do focusing on living an extraordinary life. And I know a lot of the listeners, they have the ambition and the goal to live an extraordinary life themselves. Um, Obviously, a lot of times we learn from the examples in, in front of us. Uh, I'd love for to hear the story how, how you went from, you mentioned in your bio, poor kid from Green Bay, Wisconsin, who one semester in college manages to retire at age 46. I have on my vision board, I want to retire at age 45. So Very good. I, I'm, I'm hoping to take some, some, some notes for you, from you and find out how you did it and how maybe some of the listeners and, and watchers can replicate that. Well, it, uh, it takes, uh, ultimately a commitment, you know, uh, Ted, I offer a, you know, a free, uh, 28 page document about success on my website. And what it includes are these eight principles that we figured out and all eight of them are really common. I mean, you will know every one of them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I say when I present them is that number eight is commitment. And ultimately, that's the only one you really need. If you're really committed to something, anything, uh, you're going you're gonna to figure out how to do it. You're going to figure out that, yes, I need to express myself. That's one of them. You have to be clear about what you're doing. That's one of them. You have to be honest. That's one of them. You have to play win-win. That's one of them. But you'll figure all of that out if you're really, truly committed to that which you say you want to create. Obviously, uh, I mean, I, uh, it's, it's almost embarrassing. I mean, I had a 15,000 square foot house. I had five vehicles. I had a jet, my own airplane. I had, uh, I skied 80 days a year. I mean, life was really, really good. Now I screwed all that up, but I did create it from zero. Mm -hmm. And the key to it was to be passionate about the work we were doing, to be committed to it. And then to say, well, if I'm committed to this, then more people should participate. And that's going to take me attracting other people to work, work in my company and that share the dream. And I, I think th there's like step one, becoming kind of good at your profession at whatever it is you do. And you can do that alone. But ultimately, you're going to have to attract other people into the game. You're going to have to find people that resonate with you and want to do what you want to do and want to do it with you. Uh, and it took me a while to kind of figure that out. I struggled a lot. I failed a lot. I went to one of the early human potential movement trainings because of that. I was struggling. I had uh, had an early divorce. I felt really guilty about it. Uh, I felt like I had done a really bad thing. I, I had a fairly severe health problem and uh, with chest pain every day, I'd had three heart attacks. And my business was failing. I was late on payroll. And uh, uh, and a friend saw all of that. And, and of course, I'm trying to act like I'm everything's together, right? Yeah. 
uh, I'm cool. <laughs> and uh, But a, a friend, a dear friend, saw through that act and persuaded me to go to this training. And it's a cliche all these years later, but it changed my life because I got it. I got that I am responsible for my life. It isn't the economy. It isn't my wife or husband. It isn't uh, the, the any kind of circumstance in my life. It's me. Mm-hmm. I I own it. Not in not from a standpoint of blame and shame and regret. I just own it. Yeah, it's mine. And uh, what's next? It's my choice. I mm-hmm. I better make better choices in the future. That kind of thing. Uh, I got so much value from that training that I ended up running that company. Uh, for someone else. So for four years, I ran someone else's business, which allowed me to learn the training business. I I didn't know anything about it before that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I got paid a salary for learning. (laughs) Good deal. you know. And uh, when I went out on my own, I still made a ton of mistakes. But I think those early experiences prepared me for the life that I eventually created. Yeah, which I think it's amazing because I I love how transparent you are in the fact of, you know, hey, I created it and and then it went away, which I think a lot of us listening, myself included, I don't take failure well. And and a lot of us have a hard time rebounding from that. And and especially um, when we when we reach a level of success. And I think a lot of us have that whole bravado. Everything's okay. Everything's all right. But, you know, maybe someone that's listening is having mounting credit card debt or their company is on the verge of failing. They don't know how they're going to support the next month's worth of expenses. Uh, How do you bounce back from that? How do you kind of pick up those tools and then start building again? What, what, I guess, first, what gives you that motivation to do so? And then secondly, I guess, what were some of the fundamentals you used to kind of climb out of that? Well, first of all, I'm kind of trapped because I wrote a book on personal responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, anytime I fall into that victim role, somebody will remind me. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I was living in, I was living in Aspen, I'm living the good life. You know, I'm, I traveled to 40 countries. I was on six nonprofit boards. I spent six months traveling with the late John Denver, uh, presenting an environmental uh, seminar. Uh, I mean, I, I've met three American presidents. I've met two kings and an emperor. I mean, you know, I've had this incredible life that I never imagined, never growing up in in Green Bay. And uh, in doing that, I lost touch with my business. And then suddenly, and and in the same uh, three-month period, the woman that I'd fallen in love with uh, left me for a lawyer. And by the way, if you're going to break up, just hope that the woman in your life does not leave you for a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Stacks the odds against you. (laughs) And, uh, but I did have this friendship with, with John Denver and he got off the road one day. Oh, we went through divorce together. Our wives were best friends and they left us within the same seven day period. Oh, wow. And neither of us wanted that. That was not our choice. Uh, We both created it, but we didn't want it. And uh, uh, that's that accountability piece creeping in there, you yeah. know, but John got off the road and we had just been attacked on the front page of the Aspen Times, the newspaper that everybody in Aspen reads as having uh, sexually molested our daughters. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the latest 
divorce tactic, I guess, but a pretty savage one for a man. I mean, yeah. I, I, and, and we're both, and that's something you don't want to share with somebody, you know, John and I being on the front page of the newspaper and, and we went down, down Valley from Aspen's a little town called Glenwood Springs. So named because they have a hot springs and next to the hot springs pool are the vapor caves. So you go down there, you sit in the steam for an hour or so and cook and talk. And then you go take a shower and have a macrobiotic lunch and then back to the heat. And then you have a massage. You know, it's, it's a day long deal. Yeah. Very nice. And you talk a lot. So John and I played victim for about an hour, about the first hour of that. And then we just started laughing, you know, because we realized that what we were doing, we we're externalizing the issue. We're blaming our soon to be ex-wives, right? And then we really got into how we created it. And then we made a couple of promises to each other. And one of the promises was that we would be rigorously honest with each other. So uh, there's a guy in the training business that I honor and respect a lot named Werner Erhard. He's an older guy now. He's in his mid-80s, I think. Still speaking occasionally. But he created a company called Est, and that became a company called Landmark. They've got over 6 million graduates around the world. Incredible uh, material. Uh, but, you know, Werner said that that uh, one time to me that he's not a guy in a diner about a subject we were talking about. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, that guy, it's late night. You've been out drinking. You go to the diner to have a snack before you go home. And you sit next to a guy at the counter and he knows everything about everything. Mm -hmm. You know that guy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talk about politics. He knows everything. You know, talk about sports. He's got a, he's got statistics down pat. And the truth is he's a mile wide and an inch deep. You know, he knows a little bit about everything. And uh, what I realized is that uh, there are so many things I don't know anything about, but I know something about the human condition and I better start with me. Yeah. And, you know, that I'm the center of all of this. It's me. Mm -hmm. And, and if this marriage didn't work or if this business didn't work. The first person to look at is me. You know, one of those old motivational speakers, uh, and I'm not a big fan of motivational speakers in a way, but this guy <laughs> said something that I really got it. And I'm glad we're on Zoom because he said that every time you point, just remember there are four fingers pointed back at you. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> that, that's not a bad uh, little piece to live by, you know, mm -hmm. start with you. Uh, sure, people do betray you. The bank doesn't come through. The client switches suppliers. You know, all of the stuff that happens, uh, particularly in business or personally, sometimes people don't like your act and walk away from you. Yeah. Uh, the good place to start is looking at yourself and how you are cause in the matter. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do that, you stay in this loop of being the victim. You know, and it's a down spiral. Yeah. And emotionally that's so and physically. That's so powerful because I think so many people are afraid to to look in the mirror and take that that responsibility. And I say responsibility because there's a difference between blame and responsibility. Oh wow. You know, if something happens to you, sure, it might not be your fault, but it's your responsibility where you go from here. And I think the empowering thing about that when you say, Okay, hey, it's me. 
listen, if you're the problem, then quite frankly, you're also the solution. And that's where the the empowering part comes from. So I'd love to know what the building blocks looked like and and how that started to play out in the years following the divorce and and everything kind of altering. When did things kind of really start altering for you and and it kind of click in in your head and you're saying, oh, I'm I'm turning this thing around. You know, I've been asked recently to speak uh, to a lot of young people about entrepreneurship. And uh, uh, so I, I, I realized that a lot of what I learned about it was from my failures. I mean, I, I have had a lot of success and I need to own up to that also and, and be responsible for that. Uh, but, you know, I fired 240 people. I closed 15 offices. I lost $30 million. I, I mean, I, if I don't learn something from that, from the pain that comes with that, I'm, then I'm really a fool. So I've really been looking at uh, kind of a structure for fulfillment, for getting what you want. And it seems to me that it, it begins with uh, knowing a whole lot more about you, first of all. And, and then there's these three steps. It's mirrored in our coaching, mirrored in our trainings. First is to clear your past, to be comfortable with it, and to some degree to let it go. That doesn't change that it happened, but it, you can change how you react to it. So one of the, some things that you need to let go of before you enter a business is any, uh, on a personal level, is any blame, shame, regret, guilt, or even past success. Because we, we build up this belief structure around that and operate from that. And that's like a killer to a new business or a new relationship or a new anything. So step one is clear the past. Take some of the negative energy off of it. Uh, the second piece is to learn to get better at telling the truth about your current reality. I mean, the number of people that I've talked with that are interested in starting a business who are in some kind of fairy tale land about where they are right then, you gotta, you got to deal with that first. The Buddhists call it developing a selfless regard for reality. Mm-hmm. In other words, getting your ego out of the way so you can just see what's real about you, about the market, about other people. And then if you've done those two things, then there's that piece that you mentioned earlier about the vision board, you know, that have a compelling vision, not just a vision, but a compelling vision. You know, I, uh, one that, and by compelling, I mean one that attracts other people, not just you. Any vision can motivate you. You know, I might have a vision of being a shooting guard in the NBA. It's not really a vision. It's... It's a fantasy, yeah. you know, I'm short, I'm overweight, I'm slow. Uh, did I miss anything here? <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, uh, but so a lot of people are like that, though. They they have a, a kind of an imagination, an image, and they would rather protect that image than tell the truth about where they are. And then, because if you do those two things, clear your past, tell the truth about where you are, and then have a vision that attracts other people, that's pretty good building blocks for the future. Uh, my The business part of me says, that's kind of the personal growth side of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business side of me is, do you have a game? And games have, I, I like the metaphor, because games have a very specific purpose, which is to win. All games have a purpose of winning. And they have a set of rules. And they have a structure. They have, there's a strategy. There are tactics to win. You know, the, the, the Air Force is now 
giving you extra points. You want to be a pilot? You want to fly a, an F-16? Yeah. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but right now in your application, you get extra points if you've been a gamer. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. Because what do you have to do to win as a gamer? You have to know the strategy, the tactics, the and have the reflexes, the eye-hand coordination. That's a jet pilot. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But you've got to have a game, and, and the game has got to be winnable. Mm-hmm. You know, and you've got to know what the rules of the game are, and you've got to know what the strategy and the tactics are, and and be uh really rigorous about that. Yeah. Uh after that, there's all all kinds of variables. But I think it's a good start is take a look at you. If there's some needed personal development work, do it. Read that book. Go see that coach. Plug yourself into something and, and get, get that kind of support. And then, and by the way, when you go looking for support, talk to people that have been there and done that. Not your cousin because he's got an opinion about everything. Mm-hmm. You know that. Go find somebody that's actually done what you want them to do. In my group coaching work, that's the most common feedback that I get is, uh, Robert, I did this program. I read this book. I got into this. You know, nothing worked for me. And this works for me because you've done it. And and so even my failures have turned out to be a tremendous source of learning and growth and stuff that I can share with people. Yeah. Uh, but if you've done those first two, then you get you develop a compelling vision for for yourself and for the people in your life uh, that attracts them, that brings them in with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the beginning of a good business, and you got to have a game. Yeah, got to have a game. I, I love that because <laughs> you, you mentioned the, the learning piece. And even earlier, you said how when it came to the coaching business, you ran a business for someone else for years before doing it yourself. Yes. I, I think there's so many of us who, and maybe Eagle's a part of it, we want to start our thing. And we want to start our company and be at the helm and be at the front of the room. As you mentioned, You know, starting out in the back of the room and learning more from the back of the room than the front. So there's so many people who want to start off as the leader when they might not have learned the the lessons yet. How yes. important is it for us to kind of, I guess, learn before we kind of jump ahead of the game or some, I guess, experiential learning along the way that can kind of help us for success down the line? That's a really great question. And I, I hope people really tuned into it. You know, I'm in a place in life where people come to me for money uh, for their business. And one of the things that I sort for is have they had comparable experience? Have they done something? I mean, not the same thing. I mean, they wouldn't be coming to me for money if they were doing the same thing. Yeah. But is did they learn something from early experiences? You know, I had the, the experience of a, a heart attack at 19, which dropped me out of college. Wow. And then I couldn't find a job. Oh, the Air Force wouldn't take me, by the way, speaking of jet pilots. And... Uh, because of my health. And so I got that job at a finance company and for me, and I was there for seven years and did really well there, but, and started a part-time business while I was there, by the way, I had the security of the salary, right? Yeah. I'm working nights and weeks and on the new business, but I, I, for a number of years, I did kind of dismiss that experience 
And then I had several things happened where it woke me up to where I realized how much I had learned there about people, about myself, about systems, something I'd never been good at in my life. You know, at that time in a finance company, the, the only computers were in the home office, you know, some huge IBM monster, you know, in the actual branch office that I managed, no computers. I mean, we had adding machines and paper cards that you kept records on. Yeah. Years later in selling my product, I started realizing I need to have those paper cards. I need need to keep notes on people and follow up with them. All those things I learned in a finance company. But I also learned about people and budgets and how people get in trouble financially, how I get in trouble financially. I learned so much. So I think every, every experience we have, there's potential learning in it if we're willing to be aware, if we're willing to wake up. And if something has absolutely no value, you can always find some. It's a, we did that. I, I mentioned I did that one five day training a year. One of our handouts was called, uh, and we gave it to people overnight, asked them to read it, come in the next morning and talk about it. It was called The Dancing Toll Taker. And at that time, uh, I lived in Marin County, uh, north of San Francisco, and it's connected, of course, by the Golden Gate Bridge. So yeah. the story kind of had more meaning to me. And uh, so this guy was a toll taker, you know, $2, $2, $2 change. Good morning. Uh, sounds like a terrible job, right? This guy's dream was to be a dancer, to be on stage. So he went to his boss and he said, uh, could I put a little radio in my booth? And the boss said, yeah, okay, go ahead. You know, <laughs> he didn't care. <laughs> so the guy put the radio in his booth and he started practicing dancing in a toll booth. Yeah. And pretty soon people coming from Iran into San Francisco to work in the morning chose his booth and had to wait in line longer <laughs> because can you imagine how lit up he was dancing at his toll booth versus all the other people that are bored out of their minds and wish they were somewhere else. Yeah. So even a job that looks really routine, you can find something about it that is moving you toward your goals, moving you toward what you want to create in your life and lights you up. Uh, you know, that that former wife that wasn't very kind to me during the divorce, you know, we've become pretty good co-parents and, and, and uh, she stepped into that commitment that I made. Uh, so I want to acknowledge her for that. She's also one of the funniest, wittiest, wisest people I know. And she often talks about what what is it that lights you up? Go find that. Yeah. Go find that thing. You would do it for no money. Just don't tell anybody you would do it for no money. <laughs> <laughs> That's the caveat. <laughs> I mean, I I can't tell you how much satisfaction I get in these group coaching sessions. I mean, I learn from people. I laugh more. I it lights me up. You know, I, I want to do it tomorrow. (laughs) And uh, 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 so I think that's in terms of summarizing kind of a place to be is, have you found a way to have what you're doing with one third of your life, your work life uh, that lights you up? Yeah. And I think that's so important when we talk about living an extraordinary life. Um, It's finding that core of what lights you up. And then in 
and then unapologetically being in pursuit of that and, and leaning into it. Yeah. And be willing to take some disapproval from friends and family who don't get you and don't get what you're up to. And because mm-hmm. a lot of people are pretty negatively based and they somehow makes them feel better to put you down. Yeah. I mean, that's just a reality that's been true for thousands of years. Read yeah. the Bible. People did it. People did it to Jesus, you know, <laughs> and, they'll, and if you come up with a new idea and walk away from security, especially, yeah, you're going to catch some heat. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, I, uh, I had the sales business that after I went through that human potential movement training, I tripled it in the year after the training nice. and in the following year, it went up 10 times. And so I had this month where I made more money in one month than I had ever made in a year. And I knew the money was coming. And in those days, it was paper checks, you know, mm-hmm. in a special envelope. So I came into the office one mo- Monday morning, and my secretary had this big smile on her face, and she hands me the mail, and she says, the checks are here. And there was a letter from my mom. And this is the days when, you, you know, moms wrote, and I wrote, handwritten letters to family members. Mm-hmm. So I went into my office. Guess what I opened first? Not the letter from mom, right? (laughs) Three envelopes totaling $25,000. And I got my little team together and we opened some cheap champagne and toasted to our success and gave everybody hugs. And I went back to my office and I opened this letter from mom and I can see it. I can see it in my mind's eye right now. All those years ago, it was uh, the weather, how she's feeling, how my brother and sisters are doing. You know, that's page one. Yeah. Top of page two. Have you found a good job yet? <laughs> you know, mama, my mom was a depression mom. She lived through soup lines and real poverty. Yeah. And she never owned a home until, frankly, until I bought her one. Uh, in her lifetime, she never owned a home. Yeah. And uh, uh, so for her, the way you survive the depression is get a job in a big company. So even though I'm doing what I love, I'm making a ton of money for me. Have you found a good job yet? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I've still got the taste of the bad champagne in my mouth, you know, and I'm yeah. reading this letter. And I, but that's true for so many people. Yeah. They don't get supported by the people that they love and that they want approval from. You know, you've got to be willing to stand in that space of no approval. Mm, yeah, I'm going to have to write that down. And, and Robert, I know you coach so many people, you help so many people in, in terms of breaking through some of their own limitations, living an extraordinary life. I'd love to make sure that our listeners, our watchers have an opportunity to connect with you and, and follow some of your material, even the 28 page document that you mentioned earlier. So what are some links or resources folks can find on how they can get there? If they go to extraordinarypeople.com, they can sign up for my weekly easing. It's called an extraordinary minute with Robert White. And it's uh, a, usually a quote from somebody. And then a few comments for me It's all designed to be read in one minute or less. It's designed for today's <laughs> attention span. And included in that is this 28 page PDF about uh, living an extraordinary life. It's what, what we've learned with working with over a million people. Uh, that's one way. Uh, another way, and, and that's a way just for us to get connected. You know, and you kind of figure out how I think, and hopefully you hit reply from now 
you know, from occasional, occasionally, yeah. so that I get to know you and what are the issues in your life. The other way is I have a different website called therobertwhite.com. And on it is, it talks about my group coaching work. And uh, so you can learn about it. And, uh, and I also offer a 30 minute free coaching session awesome. uh, on an issue of your choice. Uh, and the link to that is on that, therobertwhite.com. Excellent. Easy to remember. Absolutely. So. And I'll also have those links in the show notes too. So uh, if folks for some reason missed it, maybe they got a call while listening to this podcast or the dog's barking or they had to go grab the kids. They can simply hit the, the link in the show notes and get straight to it. But but Robert, thank you so much for taking the time, sharing your story and, and being vulnerable, transparent, and, and just pouring some of your expertise into us. Because I know a lot of our listeners and our watchers really got a, a lot of value from that. Ted, I love what you're doing. Uh, I think it's a real service to a lot of people. And if I can support you in any way, let me know. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much, Robert. And I'm going to recap some of the gems that you mentioned along the way as we kind of sign off here on the episode, because uh, there were a number of things that you said that I really think the, the listeners need to hear one more time as, as we're leaving this podcast. First, it takes commitment. A lot of us have this life that we want to live, this dream, or we want to get to that next level, live an extraordinary life. But we first have to decide that we are committed to it. Um, two, it's me. You have to start with you. And, and I don't mean that in an attacking way. I mean that in an empowering way by taking responsibility and understanding that you are the reason for your current situation. You also give yourself power to get out of that situation and craft the life that you desire. And of course, don't discredit what you've learned. A lot of us are either working a nine to five or we have been stuck in a job before that might not have been the ideal job that we wanted, but the dots usually connect in hindsight. So I urge you folks to kind of look back and find the lessons in that job. Find the, the, the nuggets that you learned that you can apply now. I believe it was Steve Jobs who didn't know the interest uh, of the importance of fonts that he learned in college until he needed to apply it to his company. And uh, you have to be willing to stand in an area of disapproval. So many of us needed to hear that because when we start living the extraordinary life, we often hear from those closest to us uh, some of the negativity, some of the fear, the limiting beliefs, and, and really the inertia and the friction comes from those closest to us. But it's just wind in your wings as you're getting ready to take off. And I tr and trust me that the, the air is so much more... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? I guess easier to fly. They're smoother, yeah. <laughs> smoother up in the air than it is up down there. near the ground where a lot of the resistance is. And with that being said, if you if you need an extra push, please feel free to reach out to Robert with his his training and his coaching. And I know he is definitely the great resource to get to you to where you want to be. Guys, I thank you for making it to the end of the episode. If you got value from this, it would mean the world. If you could share it to a with a friend or someone who you also think we'll get value hit that like button hit the subscribe button to get our new episodes each and every single week and if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily you can do so for as little as one dollar a month through our patreon page that link is also in the show notes and as we always say at the end of the episode guys everybody wants the sunshine but they don't want the rain but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain let's grow
No Rain, No Rainbows podcast is recorded at Camaraderie, a collective workspace in Greenville, South Carolina, right off the Swamp Rabbit Trail. If you're looking for a place to grow your business, network with other professionals, and establish your own workspace, Camaraderie is the place to do so. Get access to high-speed internet, private showers and towel service, free methodical coffee, and free beer on tap. For more details, be sure to head over to camaraderiecowork.com or hit the link in the show notes and find out how you can lock in your space with rates starting at just $99 a month. Be sure to tell them that Ted sent you and try it out for free. You never know, you just might find a new home at Camaraderie. Let's grow.